All of the newest episodes of Note to Self are now available on the Luminary Podcast app. It's free to download, and you can also listen to other podcasts from WNYC Studios like Radiolab, Two Dope Queens, Snap Judgment, Here's the Thing with Alec Baldwin, and others. Luminary Premium is the only place where you can enjoy the entire new season of Note to Self, plus new original podcasts you won't find anywhere else from Trevor Noah, Roxanne Gay, Guy Raz, Lena Dunham, and many more. And you can enjoy them ad-free. Start your free trial by going to luminary.link slash note to self or download the Luminary app for free. Listener supported. WNYC Studios. This is New Tech City, WNYC's weekly look at how technology is changing the way we live. I'm Anoush Samarodi. I've been thinking about how big national tech and science programs can get the public excited and spawn new industries. The Apollo project put a man on the moon and also eventually gave us the CAT scan. It's said that every dollar spent on mapping the human genome has returned $140 to the U.S. economy. And government money can be crucial to getting those smaller tech companies off the ground, too. Did you know that the founders of Google got early support from the National Science Foundation? Most recently, President Obama announced a new $100 million initiative to map the human brain. I don't want the next job-creating discoveries to happen in China or India or Germany. I want them to happen right here in the United States of America. And that's part of what this brain initiative is about. So you'd think that as a leading center for neuroscience research, New York City is totally poised to be the next center for growing science-based businesses. But while doing some research... Our reporter Ilya Meritz discovered New York City has never had much luck at growing businesses with a science bent. He went to find out why and got his mind read in the process. San Diego, Silicon Valley, Cambridge, Massachusetts. These are the places where scientific researchers are spinning off lots of new companies. To find this in New York, you have to look harder, like in this cramped windowless room 28 stories above Wall Street. How many square feet is this space? It's not a lot. I think this is uh, 150. Paul Scheida is a Columbia University neural engineer and co-founder of a six-year-old startup called Neuromatters. Research associate Paul de Guzman sits me down in front of a computer monitor and fastens a headband with nine electrodes onto my cranium. So is that comfortable, tight enough? Yeah. Dan Rosenthal, a research scientist, says the computer is about to read my brain activity. So what we're going to do here is we're going to view 300 new images. So try looking for bicycles. I hit the space bar, and now hundreds of images are rapidly flashing before my eyes. Beaches, watches, teddy bears, 5 to 10 every second. I don't have to do anything, just notice any bicycles, but I feel like I can barely keep up. When the experiment is over, the computer takes a minute to organize the pictures I've just seen, and sure enough, the top results are all bicycles. Professor Scheida says my brain was ranking these images similar to the way Google ranks its search results. That first impression, that 100 milliseconds when you look at the image, you really don't recognize what it is, but you can say that there was something there of interest. Computers telling humans what they're thinking. Amazing. Maria Gotch is president and CEO of the Partnership Fund for New York City, a nonprofit investor in biotech businesses. On any metric, if you want to measure the strength of the biomedical research at our universities, New York City ranks one, two, or three. But Gotch sees a missed opportunity. New businesses like Neuromatters are the exception, not the rule, in New York City. 
when it comes to creating jobs and venture capital dollars raised for life science companies, we rank near the bottom. Gotch has observed a pattern over the past dozen years. A scientist makes a discovery in a lab in New York. Then someone develops that discovery in some other city. It happened with Amgen, Accorda, and Millennium Pharmaceuticals. Research in New York, business somewhere else. Why is that? It's not that New York lacks for money. It just doesn't have a deep pool of people who've made money in life sciences in the city. That's the difference. It's a bit of a conundrum. New York doesn't have enough investors and executives with scientific know-how to support a local industry that can propel itself. As it happens, Neuromatters Paul Scheide is now looking for a CEO. The skills he wants? Um, a lot of qualities that I don't have, like uh, you know, just a good business background, knowing how to do business development, also kind of productization and market background. At the moment, Neuromatters is funded by a grant from the Defense Department. The assignment is to help military analysts quickly sift through piles of satellite imagery. But Shida believes his technology could have commercial success. A few years from now, walking around the city, you might have a computer embedded in your phone or in your glasses. You see a pair of pants you like in a shop window, and the computer makes a note of it without your doing anything. Maybe it even tells you those pants are on sale. Everything is obviously in marketing, right? So much of the brain is still a mystery to us, Shida says. But the more we learn about it, the more business possibilities open up. For WNYC, I'm Ilya Meritz. So did you hear that? That company Ilya went to visit, Neuromatters, has a grant from the Defense Department. It got me wondering how important Defense Department money is to growing the country's tech sector as a whole. So I got my old buddy, tech and security journalist Noah Shackman, on the line. Okay, so Noah, I got to start with a question about Atlas. That's that six foot, two inch tall humanoid robot. You know that one that the Defense uh, Department right. <laughs> introduced last week? And it completely freaked me out because it did look like the Terminator had finally arrived for real. What do you know about this? Why is the why? First of all, why is the Defense Department putting money into humanoid robots? And how are they basically driving the market for that, essentially? Why is the Pentagon uh, putting money into humanoid robots? Because it thinks that there are all kinds of places, uh, muddy valleys, uh, you know, tree-lined forest paths, deep deserts that things with wheels cannot go. And that the only way you're going to traverse those landscapes, which kind of happen to be places that where conflict zones are, uh, are with good old feet. And so they've designed a four-legged robot, and they're working on a two-legged one, too. And so if these projects are so important to the Pentagon, why don't they develop them in-house? Why are they going to other private companies? I mean, that's pretty much how the Pentagon develops almost anything uh, that it values is by going to outside contractors. You know, the Pentagon doesn't build, you know, fighter jets by itself. It goes to Lockheed Martin. And similarly, the Pentagon doesn't build robots by itself. It goes to this company, Boston Dynamics, uh, up in Massachusetts, which is kind of the world leader in quadruped, biped, and other freakly lifelike robots. (laughs) So how important would you say, I mean, you're somebody who has a foot in the security and another foot in the tech industry. How important is the Defense Department to building the tech economy of the United States? Well, it was absolutely essential. Um, I mean, as I'm sure you and, and, and most of your listeners know, the uh, the Internet started as a Pentagon project, uh, GPS, which we all use to 
you know, get around these days started as a Pentagon project. But increasingly, actually, the Pentagon's taking its cues from the tech industry rather than vice versa. And so you see a lot of um, programs now which are just ways uh, for the Defense Department to catch up with Google. This walking humanoid robot is probably an exception. (laughs) So – and. Since we're talking about walking robots, how much movement are you seeing between sort of high-level executives in the tech industry going to the Pentagon or the CIA and then, say, Google and other tech companies? Is there a lot of back and forth between the two? So there's a couple of interesting things going on. First of all, you do see some tech executives uh, joining the intelligence and defense communities and vice versa. And certainly there's an attempt by the guys at the Pentagon to not appear as dorky. (laughs) Uh, <laughs> and actually work with Silicon Valley. And so it's not an infrequent sight these days to have guys from the Pentagon make pilgrimages out to California. But the two communities still don't cooperate quite that much. The most notable example recently is uh, all this big NSA spying stuff that's that's been revealed in recent weeks. A lot of it actually uh, came out of a program to mimic Google's biggest internal database uh, that ultimately became this crazy NSA project that allowed it to, you know, store everything we uh, we chat about and, and email about. So what kind of tech are they? You, you said that they were trying to, to mimic something that was going on already at Google. What kind of tech are they most interested in right now at the DOD? Is it is it drones? Is it cybersecurity like you mentioned? Yeah, I mean, well, first of all, the Pentagon's a six hundred billion dollar a year organization, right? So, um, all right. So, just give us a little taste, though, for us, you know, yeah, normal well, people who walk so, the sidewalks. Right, right. So, certainly, you know, cybersecurity um, is huge, and and the Pentagon's got fifteen thousand different networks, and it, and it really doesn't have a great idea of how to secure them. So, it's it's trying to learn a lot from Silicon Valley in that way, and it's trying to figure out how to manage its. Uh, computing infrastructure uh, better from that way. It's also really just trying to figure out a way for for average troops to communicate with each other uh, better. I mean, you know, the average soldier still doesn't have anything sort of equivalent of an iPhone or an Android phone Hmm. on the battlefield. So there's a lot of – there's a lot of interest in that. And then, you know, probably the biggest interest of all is figuring out – how to mine all of the data that we're leaving out there in, you know, Google Mail, in in online shopping, how to how to manage all that quote unquote big data and turn it into um, you know targeting information. So I just want to be more general here. If can you just describe for me how innovative our country could potentially be without Defense Department spending? You know, on a scale from one to 10, 10 being the highest, how important is the money to growing the country's tech sector? It's an eight and a half or a nine, and here's why. If you're a university researcher at MIT or at Carnegie Mellon, and you are working on a far out robotics project, uh, a far out cybersecurity project, a far out big data project, the chances are really, really, really high that somewhere along the way you are going to get uh, Pentagon funding. Look, uh, you know, those we hear about Google and their driverless cars, you know, putting together Google Maps. Well, you know, the guy that developed that driverless car, um, you know, got his research funded by the Pentagon. Um, you know, we think about, I don't know, Siri. I hate her. Yeah, I hate her too. But you you hate her because uh, because of the Pentagon. You know, <laughs> almost all of these projects somewhere along the way have Pentagon funding. 
I mean, as I think as we all know, the, the military can be incredibly wasteful. It can, you know, burn cash by the billions. But when it comes to this R&D stuff, it really can be quite important. Noah, thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Noah Schachtman is executive editor of news at Foreign Policy Magazine. And you can check out the videos of Atlas and watch him, her, it, walk a treadmill and flex some robotic muscles at NewTechCity.org. And let us know if you are as completely freaked out by Atlas, too, at NewTechCity on Twitter. Okay, so some serious money coming from the Defense Department, fueling entrepreneurs and innovators, and that's the usual way of getting funding. But it turns out there's a new way of getting money, and WNYC's business editor, Charlie Herman, is here to explain. Hello, Charlie. Hello, Manoush. Talk to me. I want to start a business. Show me the money. Well, the new thing that's happened is that the SEC has finally gotten around to passing the rules uh, that will end what's called uh, the ban on general solicitation or this advertising ban uh, for hedge funds, for venture capital firms, for private private companies or startups uh, who want to go out and try and raise money. In the what past, do you mean general solicitation? Well, so in the past, you had to be a publicly traded company and you could go out and buy stock in the company. If you were private, if you were a hedge fund, if you were a startup, I couldn't come to you and say, hey, do you, know, do, you, do you want to invest in my company? I'll give you equity. I'll give you shares in my company. There were a lot of restrictions on it. And basically, the SEC has made changes to this rule uh, and so now companies can put out ads. They could send emails. They could you could start a company and create a Facebook page and say, "Hey, people, you want to invest in my company? You know, send me the money." Huh? Okay. So why'd this come about? Well, so this has to do with something that was passed about a year ago. Uh, it's called the Jobs Act, and the intent of the law when it was passed by Congress and signed by the president was to make it easier for companies to raise money, uh, and then thereby they could grow and they could hire more people. But the SEC has been responsible for passing the actual rules. It's taken them a really long time. They've finally gotten around to it. And and the thing is, we're talking about you can invest in it. You have to be what's called a qualified investor or an accredited <laughs> investor. All right. So who the, the, who, fine, the fine print? Who is a so-called qualified investor? Well, you have to have at least a million dollars in net worth. Uh, so uh, you you have to have a lot of money, or you have to have an annual income above $200,000. So we're talking a small group of people here. Right. I mean, by some estimates, it's maybe only about 7 to 8% of households. But the thing about it is, is that the obligation is on the company to make sure that you, Manoush, can actually invest with me. So I could maybe look at your tax returns, right? Mm-hmm. I have to try and do a, a legitimate job to make sure you can invest in me. But, you know, that that's where some of the worry is, is that will – Will that actually be done, and could this open it up to to problems down the road? You mean like scams? Exactly. I mean, the 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 worry here is that this law was originally put in place, you know, over eighty years ago during the Great Depression, and the idea was we want to prevent scams, we want to prevent people from losing their money, and the worry is is that this accredited investor description hasn't been updated for many many years, so. People make a lot more money now than they did 30 years ago when they some made some people. Some mm-hmm. people. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's still it's still a lot of money. But you know, the the big worry is not only could there be scams, people trying to steal you of your money, but there just may be really bad investments out there. And if you're not sophisticated, if you're not a full time investor, and you think your Uncle Joe's company sounds good, and here's you know ten thousand dollars, that might actually be a horrible investment. I feel like people have been doing that before, though, right? Like, didn't you always say like I'm going to start this business and let's- well, people could give you money before. I mean, there are rules and regulations about that, but this is actually getting a stake in the company, Mm -hmm. you know, and there's one part of the Jobs Act that still hasn't been addressed, and that's crowdsourcing, uh, that you could actually, instead of like Kickstarter, 
you know, here's $500 and in return you get a copy of my book or you yeah. get a mug or a T-shirt. This would be you'd actually get some investment in the company. Uh, the SEC has to make a ruling on on this because that was part of the Jobs Act that hasn't gone into effect yet. So uh, that's another part that's out there that's for the unaccredited investor, the, the average person. I mean, how much is this sort of Washington catching up with the way that business is being done? A lot of it in the tech sector, entrepreneurs, that's, innovators, all those people. It's the exact reason why they wanted to pass this rule to sort of say, look, we're not 1933. Like the way companies go about operating now is very different. Uh, and that there are all sorts of platforms and different ways to try and raise money. We have to we have to update it, and that's what the attempt to do with this passing of this law is. So I mean, it's a big deal. I mean, everyone from a you could be a theatrical producer and you want to go out and try and find some more investors. You could put an ad in the New York Times now. Uh, you could be a startup company based in New York, but you don't know anybody in Chicago or you don't know anybody in St. Louis, mm-hmm. and maybe there's wealthy people there. So if you're able to put a national ad out or do something on Facebook. You, you might put on a show. You, well, you know, or you could get your, your startup company going. Cool. Thanks, Charlie. Thank you. I'll see you back at our desk. See you at the desk. What, did you pack your lunch today? I already ate it. You already ate it? Hungry. Oh, shoot. I didn't bring mine today. I think I need to go out and get some. Oh, uh, maybe if you do a startup, I can help fund it a little okay, bit of it. cool. Thanks. Thanks. All right, so this was the second week of our new Bigger and Better New Tech City podcast. And those poor people just listening to the abridged version on the radio, they don't know what they're missing. So go on, send them a link to iTunes, and please spread the New Tech City love on Twitter and Facebook. And if you've got something you want us to cover, just let us know there too. I'm Anoush Samarodi, and this is New Tech City from WNYC. WNYC.